Baseball season is around the corner, and we will be giving out our favorite futures picks on the Just Baseball show in the lead-up to opening day. To go along with that, BetMGM has a brand new offer for our listeners. Use code JUSTBASEBALL and place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5, and you will receive $150 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. How to get this offer? Step one, download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Step two, sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Step three, place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Step four, once you have placed a bet, you will receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York and call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 21 plus only, please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that it expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL and get $150 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. Scott Boris lost again. Wow, we're dancing on this cat's grave. Matt Chapman is the San Francisco Giant. That is a big L for Scott Boris. That's a nice W for the San Francisco Giants. And depending on how you look at it, it's a nice win for Matt Chapman, given where the market had gotten to. But a month ago, if he signed this deal, we're like, wow, you totally lost. We're going to talk about Chapman. A couple more big-time spring training performers that we want to fly through. Peter has a very embarrassing personal story off the top. And then the best starting pitchers in baseball, the one you've been waiting for, the best arms in the game. That is the rundown for Monday, March 4th's Just Baseball Show. I'm Jack McMullen, and you are... Peter Apple, and this episode is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. If you haven't done it yet, I'm just going to keep pounding the pavement because we don't have much time. Download the BetMGM app on iOS or Android. Put $5 down at standard odds. That's minus 110. Using code just baseball first when you deposit. And you will have $150 loaded into your account for free. It's bonus bets that you can use on the MLB season or any other sports that you want to gamble on, you degenerates, because I know I'm doing it. I know I'm trying my best in college baseball right now on MGM, and MGM is keeping my money, to say it lightly. I'm not off to a great start, but I'm trying, right? And I'm using some of the free money that I got from the bonuses. Might as well, right? So it doesn't sting quite as badly. 
code just baseball on BetMGM. Jack, before we get into my embarrassing story, how's your trip down yonder? How's Norway? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, not Norway anymore. I'm in Copenhagen right now, but I fly back early this week, so I am soaking up uh, my last bit. I'm walking a lot, and I kind of fucked up my calf, mm. and like it's bad because it's not like I'm going to waste a day in Copenhagen. It's, oh, I, I got to elevate. No, I'm in Denmark. I'll do that when I'm back in Indiana. Like, I'm good. So it's been great. I'm a warrior. I'm fighting through it. How are you? So this story might make you feel better. And I hope you lock yourself out of your apartment again. No, lock yourself no. in your apartment. You've done that no. several times. Yes, this is far more embarrassing than that. This no. is am I a child? So. And this is a safe space, right? Fans of the I, just baseball show you like I can tell you anything, right? Because this has nothing to do with baseball. This is just pure embarrassment, embarrassment on my part. This is a safe space, right? Please confirm before I tell the story. Go ahead. Okay. Please confirm. Go ahead. I'm not going to tell you it until you confirm. All right. Safe space. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I had a great dinner with my girlfriend, right? We cooked up. I think we had like chicken thighs, vegetables, rice. It was a good dinner, right? Very excited eating dinner with her. And afterwards, we have a really good conversation, right? I forget exactly what we were talking about, but it ended in a hug. Right. So I'm sitting on the couch after dinner and it's a little bit of a longer hug. She's like patting my back. Right. Kind of like consoling me in a way, even though it wasn't anything sad, but she's consoling me. She's patting me on my back and I have to lean back. And I just let out the largest burp of my entire life. My girlfriend burped me. I'm a 26 year old man who was burped. And you could say, well, wasn't that just random? How do you burp a baby, right? You pat on their back, right? You move your hand up and down to get them to burp, right? To release the gas. She did that to me on accident. And I burped like a two-year-old. I've got really more questions. It, sh it shook my world. It really, it made me feel like a little boy. Well, and Talk about emasculating yourself. I was burped by my girlfriend. Okay, that is not what I was expecting the show to start with at all. I have a lot of questions that don't have to do with being burped. Like, hey, why were you being consoled when it wasn't a conversation that warranted consoling? How was dinner? I've got a lot of other questions that don't have to do with the being burped thing. But like, hey, man, good for you. Um, no, you got not it good out. For me. Not good for me. That was and the look on her face to me. I'll never recover. You know what happens now? You got to break up with her. I, know. I don't you, know what to do. You have to call it quits. I, I'm surprised she didn't end it right there. Dude. I mean, talk about like a little boy patting me on the back and I just go. <laughs> and I look at her and what I'm like, you just burped me. Do you understand that? She was like, bursts out laughing. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. I'm a 26 year old man. I'm six, four. No, you're burped. Not. Yeah, you're I not. am. And shoes. No, you're and shoes. Not. I'll measure as soon as I see you next. Do you just go to the combine? <laughs> What'd you <laughs> clock in at on the 40? Six four in shoes. What's your vert, man? Standing vert. All right. Baseball now. Good for you on getting burped. You should be fine now. No, I'm good. I mean, I okay. felt better after. 
like Easy. in terms of my gas. All right. Let's talk baseball now, huh? Um, okay. Here's the word. There are three guys that I want to talk about when it comes to spring training right now. Eh, four. I'll add one. I'm going to add Andy Pajes of the LA Dodgers. Adam. And I want to talk about Juan Soto, your guy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about mm-hmm. Wyatt Lankford of the Texas Rangers. And I want to talk about Angel Martinez of the Cleveland Guardians. And these are all going to be relatively quick conversations. Soto is the one that is the slam dunk home run, literally home run, whatever you want to talk about. Juan Soto through four spring training games is six for nine with five extra base hits, two doubles, three homers, seven driven in. He's slashing in, in what? 11 plate appearances, 667, 727, 1889. So he's got a 2616 OPS in his first four games in pinstripes. It's going to keep going, right? He's going to do that over 162, and he'll break any war record imaginable. Yeah, him and Aaron Judge are going to combine for 200 home runs in the regular season, and the Yankees are going to go 162-0 and and win the World Series. Now, of course, it's never that easy, but it is just awesome watching him hit like this. And... You know, a big story coming out of Yankee camp, at least, is like, where are both of these guys going to hit, right? Is Juan Soto going to hit before Aaron Judge? Is Aaron Judge going to hit in the two-hole? Is Juan Soto going to hit number three? And Juan Soto is known for being a masher, but I think his calling card, right, is his OBP, right? The fact Play that he walks. He that walks is, more than anybody in baseball, yeah. The Yankees need him to to damage. They don't – if, if Juan Soto is walking all season long – it's not ideal, right, for the Yankees, right? It's a good thing to walk a ton, but the Yankees need Juan Soto to do what he's doing right now in spring training. Like, I think for this season in particular, him taking as many walks as possible won't lead to the Yankees' success. I know I handled, like, a bunch of different subjects all in a row, but I just need him to rake during the regular season. Yeah. I really don't want him to focus on walking. And that's why I'm excited in seeing him in spring training right now. That's my main point. No. And the way that you best position him to do that is by putting him in front of Aaron judge in the lineup, because not only do you force pitchers to deal with Soto in hopes that there's not going to be, if Juan Soto is hitting with a runner on, would you prefer to attack Soto and he could make it to nothing? Or would you prefer to dance around Soto, walk him like he always does, and then Aaron Judge makes it 3 nothing, right? So you, you want Soto in front of Judge so he's got that protection on the back end and he will see pitches. Judge all of a sudden turns into a run producer. You look at the RBI numbers from his Maris breaking year. He was not a prolific, prolific run producer. Did he lead the American League in RBIs? I'm not sure he did. Probably did just because he had 62 home runs. I know I'm he probably not had more sure. than 120. I'm not sure if he did. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now. But I will tell you that he left RBIs on the table because they had that cat hitting leadoff at points. He did. He had 131. He had 62 yeah. homers. When you hit 62 home runs, like you're gonna lead the league in RBIs. But like but Matt Olson had point. 150. You yeah. know what I mean? If Olsen has 150, why can't you put Judge in a situation where he can drive Soto in all the time? If this lineup stays healthy for the entirety of the season, Juan Soto should lead the American League in runs scored, and Aaron Judge should lead the American League in runs driven in. I guess the the reason I was bringing it up is 
there is seems like it at least when you hear Boone speak Aaron Boone the manager of the Yankees that Judge is probably still going to hit second even though Judge has come out and said I would love to hit third and Soto is probably going to hit third that's the main reason I brought it up where I don't love if that. you aren't if you aren't pitching to Judge right let's say you put him on first and you're and then Soto works a walk like that and then we grounded to a double play whoever's hitting fourth or right. something it's, like it's that would be a nightmare Exactly. Like that would be my nightmare of a Yankee season where it's like, yeah, Soto put up a 450 OBP, but the Yankees just weren't winning games because it was consistent just taking his walk. That's what I don't want. And what I will say is there's a lot of time to correct. Yeah. If that is the case in the first month, guess what? You still have five more where they play literally all the time. So even if, even if it's Soto to judge, or even if it's judge to Soto three, to open the year for the first month and it's not working the moment that Boone realizes that he'll make the switch. And that's not going to happen after the all-star break. No, realistically, I'm just a fan who is afraid of what could happen. Right. right? Because we only have, you've Soto got, for you've one got year. super high expectations and you're worried that they are going to fall shy of those massive expectations. Just like every year. But this feels scary because if Juan Soto doesn't have that great of a year and leaves, like he's the guy I've wanted on the Yankees since he debuted in Washington. Acquiring Juan Soto gives you a shot in the ass that you don't get on a year-by-year basis. Exactly. Juan Juan Soto and Carlos Rodon are different cats. You go into last year and and you say, okay, great, we got Rodon. That doesn't mean we're going to do anything in the grand scheme of the AL East in the postseason. Now, you acquire the modern-day Ted Williams, and you say, okay, we have World Series aspirations. Quite honestly, my head is in a blender because I already have Mets fans breathing down my neck being like, oh, enjoy him now because he's never going to be on your team past this year because Uncle Stevie is going to give him $600 million. And I'm thinking to myself, can I please just enjoy him? And then I'm hearing about all the lineup stuff. And then I'm hearing, you know, of course, Juan Soto is raking in spring training, which is awesome. But then I'm thinking, is he going to hit third and just walk a ton? And then we're never going to drive anybody in. I have a lot of just conflicting thoughts. I was burped by my girlfriend this weekend. My head's just not in a great place. So if this isn't great analysis to Yankee fans listening out there, just understand I'm in a tough spot right now, mentally, physically. You got issues. You got emotionally. You got to figure out. I go to a person that I can give you my person. I do it via Zoom. Um. I find the Yankee situation fascinating. Fascinating. And I saw a tweet that was hilarious and I audibly laughed and I wish that I had the person that tweeted it in front of me, but the gist was Steve Cohen in hypothetical situations and it was Bonds hitting his record-breaking home run. He's the greatest when it comes to hypothetically handing out $600 million contracts, but then a red flag pops up in Carlos Correa's medicals. He doesn't always do it. He signed two 40-year-old pitchers that are off his team now. This isn't a thing that Steve Cohen has done every year. He has yet to do that, really. So we'll see what happens. couple guys rapid fire that I want to go through before we get to Matt Chapman signing his deal with the Giants. Angel Martinez with the Guardians. I'm going to start there because Angel Martinez is hitting the crap out of the ball right now. Angel Martinez in spring training. Six games, 13 plate appearances. He's seven for 11. He's hitting 636. He's got a double, two homers. He's only punched out twice in 13 plate appearances. 
K rate was way higher than anybody expected it to be in 2023. 2022, this guy was coming off a great year. Had an 850 OPS, playing a good shortstop, 13 homers, 12 bags. He wasn't that great between double and triple A, but he did get two triple A in his age 21 season. With Angel Martinez playing as good as he is in Guardians camp right now, this adds another so-so option to the shortstop turnstile that is the Cleveland Guardians. As of right now, I can count Brian Rocchio, Gabriel Arias, Tyler Freeman, who's getting reps in center field, I read, Jose Tena, and Angel Martinez all vying for the opening day shortstop spot. Andres Jimenez might be better than all of them, and one of them might end up playing second base. Juan Brito is the best of the bunch when it comes to prospects, and it may end up being Jimenez at short and Brito at second, but Brito is not going to break camp with the Guardians. For my money, I I still lean Rokio because he's proven all that he needs to in the minor leagues. Now, granted, when he has gotten that opportunity in the major leagues, he hasn't been that good. But Arias seems out of place at shortstop to a certain extent, and he's just kind of cut from a different cloth than all those guys. I think Martinez could end up being the best option by the end of this month. And you could run out an opening day infield of Manzardo at first, Jimenez at second, Angel Martinez at shortstop, and Jose Ramirez at third base. Yeah, I think the Guardians are in in one of those spots where they can kind of just see what works early on in the season, right? Because Gabriel Arias still hits the ball really hard, and he's still a good option against left-handed pitching. Uh, but I don't really think he's that everyday guy. I think he is more of a platoon option. Can definitely, you know, hold his own against righties, but I think that's mostly a spot where he excels. Uh, with Brian Rocchio and Angel Martinez, I think they're just both, you know, young up-and-coming prospects where you just have to test it out. So I think earlier on in the season, it'll be interesting to see how Steven Vogt, like, moves throughout this because also Tyler Freeman is also an option there. Like you said, so if I'm Stephen Vogt, I'm it's kind of going to be a turnstile. But what I think is actually going to happen, because I'm more speaking about if I was Stephen Vogt, I think he's still going to run with Brian Rocchio and just see what happens there. Because I think we can both agree the most talented of the bunch is Rocchio. Yeah, I think there was a point where Martinez was trending towards that conversation. But hell, man, not long ago, we were talking about Tyler Freeman as maybe the best prospect in that Guardians organization. It's it's just an it's an 11 plate appearance sample. But at the same I know, time, right, I know. he had a great 2022. I just feel like it's been Rokio's job. And until Rokio screws it up, it's yes. going to be his job. But the reason I brought it up is they have so many options. So what would you do? Would you just run with Rokio right now or kind of do a turnstop to just kind of see what works early in the season? I think I think you break camp with Angel Martinez. If if I was thinking in a level-headed way and I wasn't taking too much from 11 plate appearances, but frankly, that's not the sake of the exercise. The sake of the exercise is for me to overreact and spew venom that's going to uh, just like get in the way of everybody's logical line of thinking. If I was being a level-headed person, Brian Rocchio is my opening day shortstop. I give him a month if he's still OPSing 600 like he did in 86 plate appearances last year and Martinez is raking in Columbus. 
then I make that switch. And I have Jose Tena as the bench bat. If Martinez is the one that warrants the bump up to the starting shortstop role with Cleveland a month in, then Tena goes to AAA and Rocchio moves to the bench. I, I, I need them to be done with this shuttle Rocchio back and forth thing. Because last year, Rocchio got up in what was supposed to be his debut, and I think he didn't even make a plate appearance the first time he was up. And then he went back up. It was it was just a weird year of back and forth. Where am I supposed to be for Brian Rocchio? And I didn't think that was fair for him. I think he should get a fair shot over the course of a month. Having said that, the unreasonable Jack thinks that Angel Martinez is making his case right now. 100%. And to your point about Angel Martinez, right? How he really had it down 2023. It's not like Brian Rocchio was raking through He was raking in AAA. I mean, kind of, right? He wasn't like last, slugging. last year in Triple A, I mean, he walked at a great amount, didn't strike out at all, but he put up a 101 WRC plus in Triple no A in, in 116 yeah. games with seven bombs and 25 stolen bases. I think we're Guardians fans, and you know, me personally, we're a little bit surprised. Like, I don't think as a 22 year old, we were expecting him to hit the ground running with the bat, but the defense being below average initially was a little bit surprising because I feel like that's more of his calling card. But if he can provide solid defense like he should while putting up a 100 WRC+, plus, then he's a fine nine hitter. Then he's a fine nine hitter, right? And Rokio is 23 years old and like just turned 23, right? We're getting jaded on him, yeah. Yeah, he turned 23 in January 13th. Like he was born in 2001. Yeah, I would give this guy a little bit of time. I still think he's the most talented of the bunch, and that's what I think Stephen Vogt is going to do. But I would like to see a turnstile because it's not like he's earned that, but I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah, a couple more guys. I mentioned this on the call-up last week. By the way, listen to the call-up this week. Aram was out doing an event with eBay in Arizona over the weekend, and he had five to ten minutes sit-downs with top 100 prospects galore. You're going to hear all of those five to 10 minute sit downs chopped up one by one by one. It's going to take us through the entire week. You're going to hear three episodes of five to 10 minute conversations with guys like Harry Ford, Rhett Lauder, Dalton Rushing, um, Robbie Snelling, Drew Thorpe, uh, Dylan Lesko, I think. Maybe not Thorpe. Lesko was there. It's ridiculous. Reggie Crawford of the Giants. So stupid. But back to it. I made this point on the call-up. Andy Pajes of the L.A. Dodgers already has a couple homers, and they have been moonshots. By the way, did you see Outman's three-run shot the other day? Ball was torched. What did it leave the bat? 113? I mean, it was a a piss missile. Crazy. But Pajes in the same game had a moonshot that left the yard to left. By the way, Josue DePala, another guy 18 years old, opposite field homer age 18 season with the Dodgers in big league spring, but Pajes I think should be the short end of the platoon to Jason Hayward in right field with the Dodgers. They move off Manny Margot. They've got a couple of utility options that they can turn to out there. Right. Chris Taylor could get ABs and he can play in the outfield. Let's stop doing that. I'm, I'm not in on that. If they're not going to give Miguel Vargas ABs, 
the right field at bats should go to Andy Pajes when there is a left-handed pitcher on the mound. Jason Hayward did not see left-handed pitching last year, and he was awesome against right-handed pitching. He made 8X this year. He made like 750 grand last year. He signed a one-year $8 million deal this year because he hammers right-handed pitching. Do not let him see a southpaw and let Andy Pajes absolutely feast and play a good right field. He is acing the audition right now. 100% he's acing the audition. However, I think this is overreaction theater. I think it really is because Andy Pajes has played one game at AAA, right? They bring out Hurt Hernandez. Still, it's just he's played one game at AAA and he's 23 years old. I know he got hurt, but that's still the reality. Yeah. They bring in Kike Hernandez, right? You already talked about Miguel Vargas, who is kind of their guy, right? I mean, and then is he their guy? They, they've kind of sent him off to oblivion in Oklahoma City the last two years. I know, but at some point, like, you got to test if he's the guy. So who are you going to give it to? You could just, all right, Miguel Vargas isn't a part of our plans anymore, even though he's been kind of platooning. We haven't given him full run yet. And then you also have Michael Chris Bush. Taylor. You also have Chris Taylor who can they play a bunch of different positions and, and hit against lefty. So I just don't see a lane here for Pajes. But I agree with you. Like, this just goes to speak to the Dodgers and the fact that they don't have the best farm system in baseball anymore because they've made these trades. But at the same time, they still have a good one and they still have reinforcements on the way. That's why the Dodgers as an organization are fucking terrifying because they spend a billion dollars in the offseason. And what are we talking about right now? We're talking about a guy who's forming a lane for himself at 23 years old who hasn't played a game at AAA yet, but is hitting big league pitching in spring training right now. That's why the Dodgers are absolutely terrifying. So I think this conversation is less about actually Andy Pajes, the player, and more yeah. just about the Dodgers' surplus of talent because I just don't see how Pajes gets at bats with all these guys. Like, why bring in Kike, right? Is it just for morale, or are they actually yeah, going they, to play they him have in the to field? Get him and Miguel Vargas, they have to give him more ABs because he's still talented. And then Chris Taylor, right? We're calling Royce Lewis the king of Grand Slams, me included, when Chris Taylor has six Grand Slams to himself. Now, does that have anything to do with his play in 2024? No, but but at the same time, like Chris Taylor is still a fine player. Chris Taylor is still a clutch player who I expect to play a corner when Jason Hayward is not facing He's right-handed making, pitching, right? So uh, Left-handed pitching. Left-handed pitching. so me. much money. <laughs> Chris it, yeah. Taylor, he got it back. So, like, how how is Andy Paz getting a lane here? I don't but know. I agree with you. Really good. Like Andy Pajes, I'm looking at his stats right here too. I mean, the guy put up a 140 WRC plus a double A. Yeah. Like he, he's crushing baseballs, but he's way on the outside looking in. That's the oh, point. I just don't want him to be way on the outside. I want him to be knocking on the door and hopefully banging the door down at some point this month. But that's not the case. Last guy that I want to talk about before Matt Chapman is Wyatt Lankford of the Texas Rangers. Lankford is so stupid. Three homers in the last two days at time of recording. Why Langford's the opening day DH? You cannot convince me otherwise. He's going to break camp with the Texas Rangers. I thought the minor league stats last year were a fluke. I thought he was just riding this crazy high that he had from UF. But turns out that might just be who he is. How can you not see what this looks like at the major league level in the regular season? To be fair, he did get off to a really rough start, and then it's just been pissing. Really rough start over what, five plate appearances? Again, we're we're talking about like 15 plate appearances max for all these guys. No, I agree with you. 
right now, Fangraphs, when you go to roster resource, has Wyatt Langford slated in as the starting DH. And I'm looking at other options to maybe even try and disprove your point. But how can I, right? Yeah. Would I rather give Wyatt Langford the shot? And I know he's 22 years old. Or, or Jankowski Ezekiel, again. Or Ezekiel Duran or Josh Smith or Jankowski again. And the reason the Rangers are in such a good spot is because, let's say, Wyatt Langford really, really struggles. I don't think it's going to happen, but... Anything could happen with a 22-year-old, right? Let's say he hits the ground not running, hits the ground crawling. Then you can put in Jankowski. Then you can put in Duran. I see no reason why the Texas Rangers shouldn't start on opening day wherever he hits in the lineup with Wyatt Langford, either in the DH spot or in the field, right? This is a guy who played, right, in at Florida, his college baseball. He's playing a lot of center field. Like, he can run. That's, a, that's an above-average tool of his. Right. So if you move him to a corner, he's going to be a good corner outfielder. So I think you're almost kind of wasting his overall talent by putting him at the DH. But I also don't mind it because what? You're going to put Evan Carter at the DH spot? Probably not. Right. You're definitely not putting a Dolis. I think and right now, be, Leody Tavares is the, just that good of a center fielder. I think it should be a Dolis in right, Leody in center, Evan Carter in left, and it should be wide length for DHing. That's fine by me. And you're going to with that and see if it see if it fails. I don't think it's going to fail. I don't think it's going to fail either. His he's he rockets baseballs off. They're so good. Yeah, so good. Better That's year crazy. over the course of the full season. Evan Carter or Wyatt Langford. Evan Carter. It's just like it's almost. I feel like this is a similar conversation to when we had Corbin Carroll versus Jordan Walker. Not exactly. But it's like Evan Carter proved during the regular season that he was a well above average hitter. And then when he got to the postseason, he was hitting third and was an incredibly valuable hitter for the Rangers and what got them to the World Series. So now I'm supposed to say the newcomer is better without proving it yet. I can't do that. I would have to go with Evan Carter. He proved it enough. Like, what did Evan Carter prove to make you think, oh, Wyatt Langford is better before seeing him against big league pitching? I can't do it. It has to be Evan Carter. I don't think it's an indictment on Carter for me to say that I think Langford may have a better year because have we really ever seen that type of production in such a short period of time from a guy that was taken in the top five? That's the thing. If he was a second or third round pick that had an out-of-body experience for four months and then he was ripping it again, I'm like, yeah, he's going to come back down to earth at some point. He was a, he was a candidate to go 1-1. So he's real. Everybody's known that he's been real for two years. And now we're just seeing what we dreamt about over the course of half a minor league season and 11 spring training plate appearances. And I'm drunk on the juice. I'm drunk on it. And I, the ceiling is way too tantalizing. It has way too much allure for me to say, yeah, Carter's going to be better. I just, I'm drunk on Wyatt Langford, and I think Langford's going to have a better year. Evan Carter put up a 180 WRC plus. I know he did. But I don't think you know he did. I know he did. Like a 180 in the regular season, a very small sample, 75 plate appearances as a 21-year-old. They're the same age. I know. And then in the postseason, a 155 WRC plus. I cannot, I can't hear any, I've seen it against big league pitching. So I can't just go. I hear you. And, that's I think a total, and that is a totally valid thing. Totally valid. I just, I've, I have yet to see Wyatt Langford struggle at any level ever. And frankly, kind of same as Carter, although Langford has been better step by step. The only place that he better. hasn't been, 
Dude, hold on. The only place that he hasn't been that Carter has is the major leagues. So you're right. Yeah. That's a pretty big point. Yes, it's a huge point. And I'm saying you're fair for saying that, but I'm very excited about what could be. And I'm going to do the thing that I know is wrong. I'm going to do the thing that I know is not logical. And I've said that already twice. And I need you to just accept that I'm doing something that's not logical. I'll accept it because Wyatt Langford is the truth. I said it when he was coming out of the draft. I, I like. I think he is otherworldly. I said on the show I would take him over Dylan Cruz, that I would take him number one. I would have taken him over Paul Skeens. And I think if you're a Rangers fan listening to this argument, you don't care at all. No, you, you got both right. of them. This is awesome. I mean, the, it's the, Rangers it's the fans Yankees. are probably just sitting here being like, this is just awesome to it's, hear that we're debating over the two guys when we look at Rookie of the Year voting who are second and third, according to the odds on BetMGM, number one being Jackson and Holiday. I would rather bet on either one of these guys over Jackson Holiday right now because I'm not even sure that Jackson Holiday is going to be the opening day shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. How can we think that, right? He's not going to play short. I can tell you that right now. He, If he's going to be on the opening day roster, it'll be as a second base. It might be, and he'd be a damn good second baseman. And he's getting work with his dad's old teammate in Colton Wong, which is hilarious. But for this season, I would take Evan Carter, and I would take Wyatt Langford over Jackson Holiday for this upcoming season. Now, for the rest of their career, I can't say. All three are going to be awesome. I mean, I do lean Langford over his entire career. I just think the bat is special. But Evan Carter... The way he was so disciplined in the playoffs and in the regular season, like Evan Carter in the regular season walked at a 16% rate as a 20-year-old and then as another 20-year-old in the postseason walked at a 14% rate. I don't know what to do. I mean, he's also awesome. This is great. If you're ready, it is great. this is awesome. It is great. All right. Uh, let's talk real quick about Matt Chapman before we get to the starting pitchers. Matt Chapman signed a one plus one plus one deal with the San Francisco Giants. Chapman is making $16 million this year. He's got an opt-out, but he can make $17 million in 2025. Another opt-out, he can make 18 in 2026. And then there's a mutual option for his age 34 season in 2027. So he can max out at four years. He technically signed a three-year $54 million deal that is in his control. He did get a $2 million signing bonus. So... Again, it's a pivot for Boris where, and Boris did this with Correa, mind you. Correa was ready to make a bag. He gets a one plus one plus one, and then he loses money when he does sign his long-term deal, and he opts out. Cody Bellinger was supposed to get $200 million. He got a one plus one plus one. Matt Chapman was supposed to get $100 million. He got a one plus one plus one for half that. Good for Matt Chapman going back to the Bay. I bet he wanted to go back to the Bay because he had a great time in Oakland and he went to the better franchise in the Bay. Good for the Giants for finding another player that can be a star. I don't think that Chapman's on the downhill now. I think that that Platinum Glover and the and the 30 to 35 homer threat may be gone, but there's still a lot of good baseball, I think, left in Matt Chapman. But bad on Scott Boris for losing. And this officially marked the downfall of that guy, I think, in the game. 
Yes, I want to talk about that. Before that, I want to give some Matt Chapman stats for Giants fans to chew on a little bit, provided by our all-star team that is now running our Twitter. Shout out Yankees World. Go follow him on Twitter or MLB Metrics. Addison and Will runs MLB Metrics, and we got Peyton. They've been cooking up these great stats, and I want to read them too. So in 2023, Matt Chapman had a hard hit rate of 56.4%. That would have been the highest in a single season in the StatCast era for the San Francisco Giants, and it would have been the highest by over 10%, minimum of 500 plate appearances. Another one for you. Since the Giants moved to San Francisco, only five players have recorded a 7.5 war season or better. Barry Bonds, Buster Posey, Will Clark, Willie McCovey, and Willie Mays. Matt Chapman already has two such seasons in his career. Now, Matt Chapman's signed a three-year, $54 million deal with opt-outs, of course, but that's yeah. you know the totality of the deal. And a deal like that doesn't make sense for the stats that I just read you. However, while he has been hitting the ball hard, the production hasn't been there in droves, right? He got off to that incredible start with Toronto last season and then really, really tapered off. So what exactly are you getting from Matt Chapman? The bat, right? Because we know what he's going to provide defensively. This guy is one of the best defenders in the last decade of Major League Baseball third base. Multiple gold gloves, platinum gloves, you name it. Matt Chapman's got it. Yeah. Three years, $54 million is kind of... I mean, it, it's much less than like we thought based on this crazy market. And I think that goes with your point, right? With Scott Boris. Right. The fact is that Cody Bellinger was seeking two hundred plus million dollars. So settled yeah. for eighty million dollars in opt-outs. Matt Chapman was reportedly seeking one hundred and fifty million dollars. That's why he turned down an extension worth a hundred million with the Blue Jays. Because I think, and remember, this is all speculation, right? We haven't talked to Matt Chapman. Right. And then he signs this three-year, $54 million deal with the Giants. My question is, why didn't the Blue Jays get back involved? Because there was reports that they were willing to do five for 100. Why didn't they go back in? And I think that speaks to your point. They might have burned the Scott Boris Bridge, be like, you know what? We're done with this. We don't want to deal with you anymore. Or was it Matt Chapman not wanting to go back to Toronto? I think it's more likely that the Blue Jays said, I'm done dealing with you, Scott Boris. We don't care what Matt Chapman signs. You can go somewhere else. I'm more inclined to think that rather than Matt Chapman just didn't want to go back with the Blue Jays because think, it makes no sense to me that the Blue Jays would not get back involved at that price point. I, I think unfair expectations could be the driving force here. I think that it could have been a combination of everything where Chapman could have seen an offer from Toronto or maybe the Cubs and it was lower than what Boris told him he could get. And he said, well, my agent told me I'm worth this. So no. And then all of a sudden he sours on that team. Again, we have no idea if that is the case or not. What I will say is Scott Boris is a huge fan of cliches. So maybe he was riding on the cliche of good things come to those who wait. That's not the case anymore. It has been the case at points over the course of Scott Boris's career negotiating for his clients, but that's not the case right now. 
the best price points come at a time of panic. And right now we're not necessarily at a time of panic for anybody. You're at, you're at a time of, you know, maybe roster crunch panic or, Hey, we had a starter go down. We need another starter. I do think the market is actually better for his two pitching uh, guys that are left in Snell and Montgomery. Having said that, thought it was freaking crazy that they waited this long for Matt Chapman for this to happen. And part of why these athletes pay an agent is yes, to negotiate their contracts and yes, to try and get the best deal and yes, to make them feel good about themselves. But a really important part of that is they want somebody that's going to be honest with them at all times. And I feel like Scott Morris isn't doing a really great job of being honest with anybody. I feel like he is talking to these teams and then he's talking to these players and he's getting wires crossed everywhere. How can that guy expect three X more than he got? It doesn't make any sense. So either teams are lying to Scott Boris or Boris is trying to make up a number that was never realistic to be reached in the first place. And I don't know which one it is. Yeah, no, I don't know which one it is either. But speaking from the Giants side, because I think, you know, we've made enough points about Scott Boris at this point. Three years, 54 million. No, it's amazing. Steel is a great deal for the Giants, especially because they're not wrapped in long term, right? If Matt Chapman and Scott Boris think, oh, now that I'm 31 years old and I'm coming off a 115 WRC plus with the Giants, now I'm going to get my five, six year deal worth 150 plus million. I just don't think that's going to happen. There's a good chance, right, that Matt Chapman has a 108 WRC plus, puts up a three-win season, and then is like, you know what, I might just stay for another year, right? That could end up happening as well. But for the Giants, you kind of needed a third baseman, right? I don't know if J.D. Davis was the answer, right? And, of course, you have Wilmer Flores who can go over and play third, but you kind of needed a guy like Matt Chapman. Yeah. Right. You have Casey Schmidt, but he didn't prove anything with the bat when he first came up. He's a great defender, right? And could play short, can play a bunch of different positions. That might be his role, his lane with the San Francisco Giants in 2024 and beyond. But at least for this year, or you have Casey Schmidt kind of learn behind Chapman. And if he wants to opt out, sure. Right. I don't think they're losing sleep over that. No. Um, what do you think of the Giants offseason overall so far? Jung Hu Lee, Jorge Soler. Robbie Ray, Jordan Hicks, Matt Chapman. It's kind of provided a pretty well-rounded unit with San Francisco. Other than the pitching staff, just because Alex Cobb is going to start on the IL to open the year, right? Because he had hip surgery back uh, the end of October. And Robbie Ray is, of course, coming off Tommy John surgery. But like right now, their rotation is Webb, Harrison, Hicks, Keaton Wynn, who I actually don't mind, and Sam Jelly. Sam Jelly will not be the starter. I assume Jelly. Gonna be a lot of, probably going to be a lot of Ryan Walker openers. I love which Walker. Is fine, but the offense is a lot better than what it was. It's it's a lot better, and our problem with the Giants since 2021, so I guess the last two years, has been lack of star power. Buster Posey retires, now what? And they've been big fish hunting, and fair narrative or not. I don't think it's fair that San Francisco is a place that people would hate to live. You can make a good life in Northern California. My brother's out at Santa Clara. Like he's fine 
out in Northern California, you had a great time in California, yeah, probably going up to Northern. Yeah. Like you can have a good life in San Francisco, California, contrary to what a lot of baseball media is saying. Every um, single big tech company is placing their headquarters in Silicon Valley, which is yeah. In Welcome to the Silicon Valley close to San Francisco. Yeah. Um, I don't think that was really the issue, but I think you have narrative here. And frankly, your team is not good enough to land a really, really big fish. They were not good enough to land an Aaron Judge. They're not going to be good enough to land a Juan Soto. Thought Machado was going to be available. They clearly weren't good enough to land Otani. Yamamoto liked it, but Yamamoto wanted to go play with Otani. So they're missing big fish, big fish, big fish, big fish. What do they do? They go get three medium-sized fishes to make their offense much more enjoyable. And those guys are not Lamont Wade's. Lamont Wade has been good, but you're not going to give Lamont Wade $80 million. You're not going to give Lamont Wade $50 million. Go find $50 million players. This is the money ball thing. You win it in the aggregate, right? It's it's finding three to supply the production of one, and you're hoping that three can supply the production of two. And I think that they got three bats that can do that in Lee, in Solaire, and in Chapman. And the Giants offense, I'm looking at it right now, right? If Patrick Bailey and Marco Luciano can have great seasons, like Yaz is still a decent right fielder. Yeah. Chapman is obviously a good third baseman. Conforto is still a good left fielder. Jorge Soler can hit you 30 bombs from the DH spot. Lamont Wade Jr., OBP machine at first base. Tyro Estrada was, I think, an all-star. Like, he was great for the Giants last year. And then Jung-Hoo Lee just hitting 300 with his 10 home runs but steals and playing a good center field. Like, this is a, this is a well-rounded group where you don't see a lot of outs. Like, you don't see a guy like a Juan Soto or something where you have to pitch around and he's an impact bat and can change a game on a dime but they have a lot of guys where it's like if it's first and second one out i have faith that most of the hitters in the lineup can get the big hit which i think is important because the giants have had like two or three of those guys for the last couple of seasons now they have five or six so it's a more exciting offense i wish they would add one more starting pitcher but they're also the kings of um openers and this offseason it seems like they've been the kings of value Right with a lot of guys who were looking for big time deals and thought to themselves, I might not get it. San Francisco Giants were thought to themselves, Well, we'll offer you a lower deal, and a lot of them are taking it, and it's working out quite well for them. So, yes, Scott Boris, right? Like Blake Snell is still unsigned, a guy who's looking for 270 million dollars. We're hearing reports that the Phillies are interested on a short term deal, that the Yankees offered him what 168 million near a Rodon type deal. The Angels are interested in a deal similar to what the Yankees are offering. And Boris is saying no, and he's still left unsigned. Same thing with Montgomery. Same thing with JD Martinez. Like, why isn't JD Martinez on a team right now? Right. And the more and more we talk about this, and the more and more pods we do, it's getting more and more difficult for these guys to be ready. For opening day. And frankly, it's annoying me. It's I'm annoying me. Done like this talking is annoying about where the fits are. The two things I hate the fits and the injuries. And Scott if Boris I... is responsible for at least one. And if these guys don't get on the mound sooner rather than later, he might be responsible for both of them. If I can watch your direct competitors throw a baseball live on live television on my laptop on MLB TV, I'm done talking about where you best fit. <laughs> That's my thought.
just exhausting because we're all also always wrong in these projections. Always. They're always, because they're like always Snell. going to the team that so now everybody's going to the Giants, even though we you, you, you we were Snell's array. Blake Snell's array, Jordan Montgomery's array. They gotta Blake get Snell's Zach the Tell out of that rotation. Blake Snell's a national. Snell's definitely a that. Monty's a Rocky. Sure. JD is a uh, a Durham Bull. Okay, so minor league deal with Tampa. He and Naoki Uesawa. I'm yes. in. All right, we're going to take a quick break. After that, starting pitchers. Ten wasn't good enough, so we ranked 20 starting pitchers. We've got guys that are medically DQ'd. We're going to get into that in a moment. We've got some honorable mentions, and then we've got 20 through 11 that we're going to go through rapid fire. We're going to spend time on 10 to 1. I'll walk us through the medically DQ'd, and then we're going to go rapid fire. Do you want odds or evens when we get to the top 10? I'll take, you had odds last time. I'll take odds. Okay. You got odds. Let's start with the notable omissions. And the notable omissions are guys that are medically disqualified. And Harrison Bruns did a great job writing this up on JustBaseball.com. And this article is linked in the episode description. Our guys that are medically DQ'd, there's four of them. Jacob DeGrom of the Rangers, Shane McClanahan of the Rays, Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, and Clayton Kershaw, who signed his one-year deal with the Dodgers, or a two-year deal, pardon, with the Dodgers. DeGrom could be back, I think, right after the All-Star break. McClanahan's going to miss the whole year. Sandy's going to miss the whole year. And Kershaw is expected back around the All-Star break. DeGrom and Kershaw are there because of precedent. They have to. And we have not seen a bad version of DeGrom or Kershaw ever, really. Um, Those guys make a ton of sense. My heart hurts for Sandy and McClanahan. Sandy, he was so primed for a bounce back year. Had to be primed for a bounce back year. And you know McClanahan's my favorite kind of watch in baseball. 100%. Easy. It's tough. I mean, this is the worst part of baseball is thinking about what Jacob deGrom would look like in a full season for the Texas Rangers at the top of their rotation, right? Would the Rays have an 84.5 win total if Shane McClanahan was good to go? Sandy. The unanimous 2022 Cy Young Award winner has a bit of a down year by his standards, but he still threw 184 innings at a four ERA, so he's still valuable. And then Clayton Kershaw, who is arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, <laughs> like those are our medically DQ'd. Yeah. If we were making a top five last year, I mean, outside of Clayton Kershaw, just due to his age. But, like, even still, he put up, like, a mid-two ZRA. McClanahan was going to be in this could This could be a top five in terms of talent. Sandy, of, we don't get to see any of them. Sandy was going to be one. Going into last year, I think Sandy was one. I, I got to pull up that list, too. McClanahan had to be right around the top five. Four or DeGrom, seven. Or, yeah. DeGrom might have been two. Cole might have been three. Yeah. And we don't get either of them. I mean, it is good that we will see. I'm saying we don't get any of them. We should see DeGrom later in the season. And Kershaw. We should see Kershaw later in the season. But it's funny. I'm more confident we see Kershaw than we see DeGrom. It's like, how can we, at this point, like, how can I say that we're going to see a ton of DeGrom? When I have no idea. Like, yeah. I hope. I hope. Good we point. Uh, our two honorable mentions are our guy, Walker Bueller and Aaron Nola. Nola is an honorable mention because he is probably 21 on this list. Yes. Walker bias accounted for we think is like number one on this list or top five having said that 
we haven't seen him throw since the spring of 2022, so we can't put him on the top 20. We figure instead of trying to shove him into like a 16-17 spot, we're going to put him in the honorable mentions because we know what that guy can do, and we expect massive, massive things from him. Yeah, shout out Walker Bueller. I think I put him six on our list. No bias. Um, no bias. No, but but genuinely, like Walker Bueller, people, when he is on, is people forget how life. good yeah. Walker Bueller is when he's on Incredible. the mound. And I'm so excited for you guys to see just how freaking good Walker Bueller is when he's back on the mound. Yeah, but as for right now, hasn't pitched in a long time. We'll keep him on the honorable mentions. But I truly do believe that if we got 100% healthy Walker Bueller opening day starting, he he could win the Cy Young. Yes. I think he has that level of talent. Yeah, and was it Anthony? That. Was it Anthony Castrovance that like actually picked him for the Cy Young? I think it might have been. Could have been. All right. Um, let's. Yeah, let's go through rapid fire here. Um, Twenty to eleven. I'll work through in two clumps of five, and you can offer thoughts on anybody that you see fit. Number twenty is Kodai Sanga, and Sanga may miss opening day. Uh, he's dealing with arm fatigue at the beginning of spring training, which is never good. But Kodai Sanga of the New York Mets is number twenty. Number nineteen is Tyler Glass now of the LA Dodgers, who looks gross again. Are we shocked? Shouldn't be. Number eighteen, Tarek Skubal of the Detroit Tigers. Did he hit a hundred, or was it like ninety nine point eight? He hit a hundred. Come on. <laughs> He's so good. You think he's a Cy Young winner. 17 is Justin Steele of the Chicago Cubs. 16 is Sonny Gray of the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you care to elaborate on your love for Tarek Skubal or? No, because I think that's overdone by now. Everybody knows that I love Tarek Skubal. I want to talk about the pitcher real quick that I think is not getting any buzz. People just kind of forgot about. He signed earlier in the offseason, so it's on the backs of everybody's mind. Sonny Gray finished second. In American League Cy Young voting yes. last year. Now he goes to a St. Louis Cardinals team that is known for playing great defense. He is a guy, he's not going to rack up crazy amounts of strikeouts, right? But he's throwing it wherever he wants and he induces a lot of soft contact for an infield with, I mean, take your pick, right? But up the middle, we could go Brendan Donovan. We could go Tommy Edmond. We could go Mason Wynn. And then on the corners, we can go Arenado. And we could go Paul Goldschmidt. Then in the outfield, they have about five or six guys that can run and go get it. I think Sonny Gray could win the Cy Young in the National League, but he's going to be nobody's pick because everybody's bored, right? Sonny Gray, we've seen him before. We know what he is, right? But he's getting no love, right? In the National League, I think he's like 12th or 13th in odds when I could see him finishing in the top three in Cy Young voting in a perfect spot for the Cardinals. It's just nobody cares about him, right? Because he's 30, he doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, and he's just kind of not as fun. But he is as effective as a lot of pitchers in Major League Baseball and is going into such a good spot for him. I think Sonny Gray is going to have a massive year for St. Louis. I'd argue that his brand now is actually more fun than guys that throw 100 because he doesn't have 100. And he's got to spin his way through seven. And I enjoy that more than watching a guy that can just buy you. I'm beating you with 102. For me, Sonny's more enjoyable. 15 through. Hold on. Remember when we talked with him at Walker's Golf Foundation? And he said that he really started buying into the numbers and he was seeing what he was good at and what he was not as good at and was really trying to work on him. Like, and he already has the stuff. We saw how dominant he can be in the playoffs when he's on, too. Like, this is a fantastic pitcher 
that yeah. is going into such a great opportunity for him. I'm very excited for him in 2024. Yes. 15 through 11 real quick. 15 is George Kirby of the Seattle Mariners. Everybody knows that that guy is a rocket ship waiting to take off. 14, the 41-year-old Justin Verlander of the Houston Astros. 13 is his teammate, Framber Valdez of the Houston Astros, coming off 198 innings. Okay, yeah, he struggled after the All-Star break. He still put up a 3-4-5 ERA. Um, number 12, free agent, Blake Snell, future LA Angel, Blake Snell. And then number 11 is Pablo Lopez of the Minnesota Twins. I love that Pablo is that high. Verlander is this high because of me. I had him at seven. And I understand that he's 41 years old. But I will say is this guy is aging way more gracefully than anybody that we've ever seen. Really. He's so stupidly good still. And he clearly loves being in Houston, Texas. This guy in Houston over the course of a full year, I think can be the ace of a World Series winning team. Still, I can't. You probably can't. It's so funny because, again, for all those watching on YouTube, shout out YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, the like button, the comment button, all the different buttons. They're all free. Just do it. We aggregate all of our rankings. Six people. You can read about it on JustBaseball.com. Yeah. So you can see where everybody ranked. We obviously have tons of different opinions, right? You ranked him seventh. I'm with you. I ranked him 12th. Like, I still think it's Justin Verlander. Like, until I see otherwise, which I really haven't, other than he's been a little bit banged up, he's still that guy. Arm ranked him 15th. Fink ranked him 11. Leo ranked him 22. And Colby didn't rank him at all. Outside the top 30. We ranked 30. We ranked 30 guys, and Colby didn't rank him. I mean, Colby. Colby so, you look at Colby. Colby tanked it. Colby's not invited back next year. I know. I don't know. I'm getting invited back with some of these rankings. Like he is so far off than some of us. Like so far off. It's clear we have a different interpretation of great pitchers, which and, is fine. It, it makes for good debate because Colby's yeah. super into the analytics. Like he's looking at you know strikeout minus walk rate, which is a great predictive stat. Right. He's looking at Sierra. Right. He's looking at expected DRA. Like I'm looking at that too, but I'm also factoring in results. Like I think that matters to me. You know, not as much as predictive, but at the same time, like, you got to lump them all in. And I think Colby just relied on the advanced stats. So you just have a lot of difference of opinions. But with Verlander, like, until proven otherwise, yeah, I'll put him pretty high. I mean, I wasn't at seven with you, yeah, but I'm still I, high. Verlander's not goaded. I'm just saying this because of the age and the success thing. Verlander is becoming Brady for me, where people stopped counting Brady out because he was getting older at a certain point. I think when he went to Tampa, nobody was saying Brady's too old because they had been saying that for the last half decade, and he kept giving everybody the bird. That's what Verlander's doing for me, at least. Oh, he's 38 years old. He's got to start ticking down. Has to start being worse. Has to put up a 4-5 ERA. No, he's still Justin freaking Verlander. I have to just accept it at this point. How about Blake Snell? Moving down the list, too. Yeah, I mean... I don't I don't like watching him pitch. You still ranked him ninth overall. I ranked him ninth. Aram also ranked him ninth. So the reason you guys aren't seeing him on the top ten is Colby ranked him twenty second. Insane. And I think it's insane. And we aren't just ranking him ninth because he just won the Cy Young, right? But he did win the Cy Young and threw 180 innings, right? Over 32 starts. And he struck out what, the world. And he struck out the world, right? But he walked a lot of guys. But the reality is Blake Snell has a 3-2-0 ERA for his career. 
3-4-4 fielding independent pitching, which is FIP. Right? Like, this guy in 2018 threw 180 innings and won a Cy Young at a 1.89 ERA. Right? In 2021, he had a 4-2. Still pitched fine. 2022 put up a 3-3-8. Right? I think the reason Blake Snell is not getting the same amount of shine is because everybody's just calling him a five-and-dive guy. And, like, yeah, his command is all over the place. The pitch count goes up. But more often than not, he's giving you a five-inning shutout. Like, he's giving you a chance to win the game. So I think a lot of people are just kind of overthinking Blake Snell a little bit. Two-time Cy Young Award winner. When he's on, he's as dominant as any pitcher in Major League Baseball that we have right now. When he got to the postseason with the Rays, he was an absolute horse. Blake Snell is still, in my opinion, one of the top 10 pitchers in Major League Baseball going into next season. Like, don't let all the, you know, he wants $270 million. Maybe he's not, not worth that, right? But he's still worth a lot. He's still one of the better. Like, if it's Blake Snell against anybody, it doesn't matter the lineup or where it is. You have a chance to win. Yeah. And coming, I think people are too, people are overthinking Blake Snell a little bit. Right. And And coming from somebody that actually doesn't like watching Blake Snell pitch, it's ludicrous to think that he's outside the top 10. But democracy is democracy, and his score was tanked. He's outside the top 10. But we get into number 10. And the same guy that tanked Blake Snell and Justin Verlander is the same guy that propelled number 10 into the top 10. And number 10 is Max Fried of the Atlanta Braves. Max Fried was hurt for the majority of the year. He only threw about 78 innings. But in those 78 innings, he was awesome. 14 starts. He had a FIP in the low threes, a 2.55 ERA, walked just two guys per nine, and put up two war in 14 starts. You, me, Arm had him 13. Fink had him 14. Leo had him 12. Colby had him six, which is why he's in the top 10. Aside from the voting, Max Fried is a top 10 caliber pitcher if he is healthy for 30 starts. And frankly, we've seen him be healthy over the course of these, you know, 30 starts. We just didn't see it last year, which is why he fell out of the top 10. For me, I'm not angry that he's in the top 10. I'm actually not mad at all. I'm kind of glad Colby ranked him six so we can appear in the top 10 because Max Freed, I mean, even like in 2019, which is his quote unquote, I guess, first full season, right? 2017, 2018, he only threw about a combined 60-ish innings. Put up a 4-0-2 ERA. All the peripherals were better in 165 innings. Then dominates in a shortened season in 2020. Then comes back in 2021, puts up a 3 ERA in 165 innings. Then in 2022, 2-5 ERA in 185. Then he gets banged up last year, but when he was on the field, 2-5-5 ERA. Like, Max Freed is a legitimate, one of the best left-handed pitchers in Major League Baseball. And especially when he's right, he can be one of those guys who wins the Cy Young. Right? He could put up a similar season to what Blake Snell did last year, right? The strikeouts won't be as high, but the walks are going to be cut in half. Like Ma- Max Freed, big game Max Freed. I'm fine that he's in the top 10. I had him on the outside looking in, but it's funny. We're going to talk about another Braves pitcher as we go through the list. Max Freed might have the opening day not, right? <laughs> Even though our the guy in front of him, he might. It might be Spencer Strider if you don't know who I'm talking about. But still, like if you ask Braves camp, it's Max Fried and Spencer Strider, and I don't think it's like, oh, oh, definitely Spencer Strider over Fried. Well, Fried's a vet of the two, so maybe you side with the vet, but they should give it to Strider. They should absolutely give it to Strider. But who checks in at number nine? Number nine on the top ten pitchers list, Luis Castillo, Seattle Mariners. Another year. 
of Luis Castillo dominating 3-3-4 ERA, 3.4 F4, 197 innings. We were pretty much aligned across the board. The low man was Liam Morgenstern, who had him 13, and the rest of us had him 10 or 11. Fink was the high man at 8. This is just a guy who I feel like I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get 180 to 200 innings. I'm going to get close to 200 strikeouts. I'm going to get a low to mid threes ERA. And I'm going to get a guy who comes out and just throws fuzz every single day. Just nasty, nasty stuff. A lot of horizontal, right? A lot of sliders, a lot of two seams, a lot of changeups, a lot of just disgusting stuff coming in and outside the lefties and righties. Can get out of anybody. Durable, consistent, just a great starting pitcher to have at the top of your rotation. With how nasty the stuff is, shocking how few guys he walks really he is the easiest cruise control guy to watch for me over the course of a full season my favorite thing to do when coming home from these indianapolis indians games was like i would turn on the west coast game if luis castillo was starting at home i was watching a castillo start because i knew that i could get through six innings at least quick and chances are he was going to go seven i love that Luis Castillo is the guy that keeps me up, but frankly, it's stress-free. I'm up at night when I watch him. 100%. And what keeps me up at night is that I usually have Mariners Moneyline or Dodgers or Angels or yeah. Giants or something. So it's like I'm watching until one You're of the until completion. I'm like, oh, Castillo got yanked. It's brash. I know how that's going to go. Good night. Yeah, that's why, you know, I've seen why he went 14-9 and nine last season. Right? <laughs> like, I know all those nine losses. You know the nine. I bet the I was on all of them. No, but... Yeah, I mean, what I love about Luis Castillo and what matters to me, right? We talked with Tanner Bybee on the latest episode, which came out on Thursday. If you haven't heard that interview yet, Tanner Bybee and Stephen Kwan on the Just Baseball Show, go listen to that. But what Tanner was really harping on was he wants to make every start and he wants to stay healthy and he just feels like it's a lost art in Major League Baseball. Luis Castillo has proven to be so durable. He's made at least 30 starts in four of his five full seasons. That it, That's excluding 2020 and his rookie year. That. High-octane stuff, 200 innings. Yeah, I'll take Luis Castillo over most. I am 11. I could understand him being higher. I'm so fine with him at number nine. I love Logan Gilbert. I love George Kirby. There's no doubt in my mind who the ace of that staff is for the next Four years. It's the guy. George Kirby might end up being it, but yeah, maybe not four, but no, I I agree with you, right? Because it's not like Luis Castillo is just some old fart, right? He's 31 years old. Yeah, and he'll be the vet moving forward. I see what you're saying. And number eight is going to ruffle some feathers. Yes, it will. Number eight on our top 10 list is Yoshinobu Yamamoto of the LA Dodgers. Rankings were all over the board. Fink had him at 15. I had him at 14. You had him at 10. Arm had him at five. (laughs) It's crazy. Arm has the data that we don't. So let him do his thing. But the numbers are the numbers. And Yoshinobu Yamamoto has what? Four Cy Young equivalents in the NPB at this point. Here's what he has. Okay. Three-time Pacific League most valuable player. He's got an Iji Sawamura award, which is a Cy Young, yeah. and he's a three-time Triple Crown winner. And he's 25, folks. We are getting the best pitcher in the MPB. 
We just saw what Kodai Senga just did. This is a better prospect. This is a guy who's five years younger, who is more accomplished than Kodai Senga, who was in the running for Cy Young last year. So I fully understand Aram putting him at five. In terms of a talent, I think Aram is actually correct. The reason I just dropped him down a little bit is just, I need to see it. I need to see it in Major League Baseball. That's the only reason, because what did we just watch in spring training? We saw a man look like he was playing catch with his dad when he was eight years old. And the reason I say that is, it just looked easy. It looked fun. And he was throwing that splitter wherever he wanted. He was dicing up curveballs, sliders, cutters, sinkers, whatever he wants because he has a full bag of pitches with this 95-mile-an-hour fastball to 96, throwing it wherever he wanted. Yeah. So, and he's such a athlete on the mound. You can just tell it's smooth, right? It's right at you. He ain't afraid of anybody. And when, after that spring training start, Arm made a great point when we were talking about it. He wanted to jump right back out there. Dude's ready. Don't discount Yamamoto in rankings just because he hasn't thrown a pitch. You're going to see. You can hate the Dodgers. I get it. But we're going to see something, and we're going to see a guy who could win this Cy Young this season. Yes. This season. He's that talented. At the end of the year, I firmly believe that he will be flirting with the top five, if not in the top five. I just have never seen him throw a pitch at the time of ranking. Do you Even, want to know what his do you want to know what his NPB line was last year? It's in I, the article. Yeah. Isn't that I mean, 24 games started. He threw 171 innings at a 116 ERA with one and a half walks per nine. Yeah. Whip was under 0.9. I think the whip was 0.86. Yep. That's elite. Elite, elite, elite. He knows his body so well. I'm so excited to watch him make a full start in the Major League regular season. That spring training start was amazing. Watching him in the WBC was awesome. I cannot wait to see this guy work into the seventh inning in May. And number seven on the top 10 starting pitchers list, Zach Gallen, Arizona Diamondbacks. Nearly won the Cy Young, 210 innings. Stallion, again, 3-4-7 ERA, 3-2-6 FIP. Didn't walk anyone, almost struck out 10 per nine, and put up a five-win season as a 27-year-old. Zach Allen is going to be at the top of the Arizona Diamondbacks rotation for a very long time. But at the same time, the rankings were a little bit all over the place. Like, Colby ranked him 12th, you ranked him 4th. I want to hear from you. You think Zach Allen is a top five pitcher. Personally, I ranked him eighth, so I think he should be around this. But I'm very curious. Why would you rank him fourth? Because he's on the mound all the time. He's going to throw the into the seventh all the time. He and Logan Webb are the same thing for me. Those guys are going to throw 200 innings every year. And when Gallen is on, it's four pitches that he knows exactly where they're going, and they're all nasty. Nobody makes an opposing team their bitch quite like Zach Allen. And there's a level of FU on the mound that nobody else has in this game. Garrett Cole has it. But aside from Cole, I think Gallen's got that. I'm going to kill you with these four pitches for nine innings. Here's why I think the Zach Allen conversation is really, really fascinating. Because I think what you're doing is you're saying, all right, I have this guy for the 2024 season. Who else on this top 10 is going to give me who I, you know, you can never know with all pitchers, but it's like, 
how many pitchers can give me 200 innings? So I'll tell you right now on this top 10 list, Cole, Gallon, Logan Webb, Framber Valdez. Those are the four. Gosman, I know he threw 185 last year. He's close. Wheeler, He's close Wheeler 192. Like, I, I'd put them in that conversation. But again, those guys did not throw 200 innings, which is important to you and I, especially. I think of and everybody. Fromber had 198, but Fromber's coming off a year where I think he had 220-something. Yeah, I mean, 198, like, you know, we can wrap That's it up a little bit. So where I came in at number eight was I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, over an entire season – it's hard to find, like, right? There's a handful. That's why I think you put him fourth. But come postseason time, like, if I need one guy to win a game, one game in the postseason, like, Zach Allen might not be in the top 10 for me. And why is that? Well, he sported baseball's highest hard hit rate last year. Give up a lot of hard contact. That's why he put up a 4.18 expected ERA. However, a lot of the other peripherals, like FIP or XFIP or Sierra, all had him around the mid threes because he does a great job of controlling what he can control strikeouts, walks, and home runs, right? He does a really good job of limiting all those. However, there was a lot of starts with Zach Allen that I watched where there was a lot of low liners that were caught by the center fielder. There was a lot of really hard ground balls that this Dimebacks offense, or excuse me, defense, defense. bailed him out of, right? So that's why he's one of the more fascinating guys on this list to see what happens next year. Does the hard hit rate catch up to him? And his regular season ERA looks like that 418 expected ERA? Or does he get better in that department and end up kind of being the top five guy that I think you're looking at? Because I think that's the only thing right now keeping him out of the top five. Impeccable command, multiple pitches that are plus, and the durability. If he can limit the hard contact this year, you will be 100% right. If he can't, he's not going to be in this top 10. That's why I think he's fascinating. And the hard contact got to him because he had a good bit of blow-up starts. He had a a very high number of blow-up starts, much like, um, I mean, not 2023 Cole, but 2022 Cole, there were times where he went out there and like, hey, five on you. You know, it wasn't a consistent three. It was... Hey, he looks like the best pitcher on the planet for a two-start stretch, but then he's got a two-start stretch where he's allowing four over five innings, and then he's allowing five over six and a third because he got you know roughed up when he went out for the seventh. Gallon, sometimes he went out there and he just didn't have it. But thankfully for him, he's got it way more often than he doesn't. That's just the reason why I didn't put him as high as yeah. you did. I get it. I right? get it. But I understand what you're saying, right? Because if he writes those wrongs, and even if he doesn't write those wrongs, like he had one of baseball's highest hard hit rates last year. That's the thing. And finished with a three, four, seven and 210 innings. Yeah. Flawed pitcher last year was a Cy Young candidate until the very end. Yeah. So I get where you're coming from with him, but I, I can't wait to watch what he looks like. But he I can't wait. Six. Can't wait. Number six is number six is a little bit more consistent. <laughs> number six is as consistent as there is on this list. And it's Logan Webb of the San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb. 216 innings last year, a 3.25 ERA. FIP was lower, 3.16. He doesn't walk anyone. Less than one and a half walks per nine. He was a five-win pitcher. Me and Leo, the high guys at five, you had him at six. Arm had him at six. Colby had him at 11 because he hates baseball. 
Yeah, that uh, doesn't make any sense. That's like I'm so glad that Logan Webb didn't go into like the seven or eight category. Yeah, that would have killed me because Colby fucked everything up and put him 11. I mean, Colby, like, why Colby? Because he doesn't Be better. strike out 13 Be per nine. Yeah, probably. Having said that, this guy, I think opponents had an average launch angle in the negatives against Logan Webb, and very few people have that happen. It is ground ball savants like a Gratterall, Aaron Bummer when he's at his best, and then it's Logan Webb and Framber Valdez. I'll pull up the launch angle leaderboard while you give me your spiel on Logan Webb, but this guy in that ballpark is a match made in heaven. I know they already extended him. When he's nearing the end of that, extend him again. He's a giant. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to pull up shit. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what it is. You know Logan Webb. You know that he is the ground ball king. You know that the average launch angle against Logan Webb is most likely in the negatives, or maybe it's at two degrees. When Logan Webb is on the mound, I'm looking at six innings, one or two runs. Every single time he goes out on the mound. And the difference is, right, because Logan Webb and Zach Gallen had similar hard hit rates last year. What's the difference? All of those hard hit balls, or at least most of them, are on the ground. They're in the safe hands of the infielders, right? A 112-mile-an-hour ground out versus a 94-mile-an-hour ground out is still a ground out. But with Gallen, it's more up in the air, which leads to extra base hits. That's why Logan Webb is so safe. So the reason I think Colby, and maybe other people, right, who don't view Logan Webb as a top 10 pitcher, they see the hard hit rates, could it catch up to him? The way he pitches, I don't think it ever will. Because as hard as you can hit the ball, it's mostly going to be on the ground. And how many times does Logan Webb have to throw 200 innings at a mid to low threes or even high twos for us to start saying, yes, he doesn't light up radar guns. He's not on pitching ninja often. But damn it, over in a full season, like I'd rather have Logan Webb than Zach Gallen. I'd rather have Logan Webb than most pitchers in Major League Baseball. The reason why, right, because I'm a firm believer in durability. I'm a firm believer in all this. That's why he ranked really high. He's not as dominant as the top five, who also have similar levels of durability. But really, when it comes to your best bet for 200 innings at a 3-5, yeah. outside of Cole, it's, it's probably him. Webb. It's, it's yes, I'm totally with you. Uh, Logan Webb led all starters in average launch angle against him, the lowest. There were two guys with a minimum of 200 batted balls against them that had a negative launch angle. Andre Palante is the outlier of all outliers. Andre Palante's launch angle against, on average, was negative 11.6 degrees. Second was Yenier Cano at negative 2.5. And then it's Logan Webb, who led all starters. Logan Webb had a lower average launch angle against him than Emmanuel Classe, like the king of the 102-mile-an-hour cutter. And so that tells you how elite Webb is. Uh, Andre Palante, by the way, I know he had a 4-7 out of the pen last year. 77% ground ball rate, 7% fly ball rate. Have you seen the tread videos? No, are they crazy? He looks good. He looks really good. I mean, he's throwing 97, 98 miles I, I was an hour. High. It's so funky. Like, I, I was just, super high on Palante going into 22. I just don't want to get burned again. I know, but why are tread videos? Like, I overreact more to tread videos than I do, like, spring trading. 
Like, I don't know. There's something about a bullpen with those radar guards and all the people around when you're like trying out new stuff. I'm always just so fascinated. Yeah. So maybe Andre Pallante has like this crazy year, but this is about Logan Webb. And this is where he's getting compared to, to like relievers who are ground ball specialists. Yes. And he's doing it over 200 plus innings, not 200 righty through 216 innings. So take your 200 and then add three more starts onto it. That's what Webb did last year. And that's what he does every year. And that's why he's so damn valuable. And yep. you could say, well, he pitches an Oracle, right? It's a big ballpark. Everything is on the ground. Wherever you would go, I really think that he would be excellent. He's on the short list of guys that I want in 2024, but he ain't number five, unfortunately. Number five is Corbin Burns, Baltimore Orioles. Orioles fans, I mean, how excited are we? You're getting a guy who won a Cy Young, and then year in and year out, it's close to 200 innings. It's a mid-threes to low-threes ERA with plenty of strikeouts and not that many walks. There's really not much to say about Corbin Burns, right, at this point. What do we say? One of the best cutters in Major League Baseball, obviously, can throw the ball wherever he wants. He's going to have those starts. Like He's going to have months there, especially with the Brewers, where he goes two months and allows like six runs and in eight starts with yep. 40 strikes. Like, it's just he has these runs where he looks like the most dominant pitcher in Major League Baseball. There is no negatives. None. It's just, is his ERA going to be 3-1 or is it going to be 3-3? Is it could it be two nine? Yep. Is it gonna be two hundred innings or one ninety? Maybe one eighty. Like that's all we're debating here, because at this point he's proven everything that he needs to do, and now he goes from American Family Field, which is a hitter's dream, to Camden Yards, who moved left field back about fifteen feet. So now he's pitching in a pitcher's park. Yeah, he's gonna be awesome. Um, I ranked him fourth. You ranked him third. Broadham ranked him seven. Colby was totally fine on this one. Five. Why do you think Arm would rank him seven? Like, if you could somehow tear down this man to the seven spot, that's what we're doing here. Obviously, right. we all think he's basic. But right. if you were to be like, I could see why Arm would put him seven, how would you answer that? Because I don't know the answer to it. He had a really rough go at the outset last year, and that may have soured Arm a little bit. Uh, frankly, that soured me a little bit too. I'm just pulling up the splits over the course of the 2023 season. Didn't sour you that much. You ranked him third. You still like him. I know. I listen. I love him, but like this guy, his his opening day start last year, five innings, four earned. He walked three. He did like, I mean, July he walks 13. August he walks 12. Um, May he walks 13. Like these numbers do pile up. He had a five ERA in June. He had a four ERA in August. You're saying he's not perfect. Yeah, I mean, before the break, he had a three nine four. He's not perfect, and and the other guys were were maybe more perfect. Okay, okay but how about this? You you said he had a three nine four at the break, which he is a bad thing with a three three nine. Which so is he obviously had an incredible second half, right? Exactly, but like, hey, he didn't. He had a, actually. He had a really good first half. I'm like, I'm like getting mad at you. You ranked him higher than I did. You're just trying to prove Arm's point. I, yeah. I, I, I'm getting mad at you for a question that I wanted answered. I'm yeah. I know. I'm fault. trying to spin it for your benefit, and you're just like Jack. Why are you spinning this? <laughs> yeah, I didn't ask you I to asked. do that. I'm like, yeah. well, frankly, you did, dumbass. Yeah, um, I did. I did. <laughs> what I will say about Burns is, it feels like he is immune to failure over the course of a full season because no one's going to touch that cutter at 98 
in a vacuum, that might be the best cutter of all time. Like I know Moe's was better. Yes, some characteristic, but imagine that at 98, at 99. Um, the only other thing that I got to add about Corbin Burns, and I hope people don't come after me for that point, and I agree that Mariano Rivera is the greatest reliever of all time and Moe's cutter is the greatest pitch of all time. Again, there is a data point that I don't have on Mariano Rivera's cutter that separates him from Corbin Burns. The last point on Burns is Kyle Bradish is in like best case scenario area right now. He's throwing from flat ground. Looks like he's going to progress to bullpens at some point soon. So yeah, he won't be ready for opening day. It doesn't seem like it's going to be an all-star break thing. It might be a couple weeks into the regular Thank season. Thank God. Thank God. Cole Irvin out of freaking nowhere. Um, Grayson Rodriguez looks amazing right now. I know, but if you were to rank the Orioles rotation right now, it's probably Cole Irvin number one. Yeah. Burns number two. Well, it's funny because number four on this list is Cole Irvin of the Baltimore (laughs) Orioles. (laughs) We don't give a shit what you think about our rankings. There are rankings. He's four because he threw 96. Colby had him one. (laughs) It's insane. Uh, No, I mean... Grayson looks so gross. I saw the home plate view of that bullpen that he was throwing in Sarasota. Oh. And oh, I mean, I saw the video too. Oh dude, my the God. fastball. I oh. know the changeup looked gross, but the fastball, man, if they get Bradish back and they run out of front three for the majority of the year of Burns, Bradish, G Rod, it's good night, Moon, to the rest of the AL East. Cole Irvin four. Cole Irvin four. Sure. Cole Irvin one. Yeah, no, but. So, I tried making the argument, but I couldn't. So Corbin Burns has finished top 10 in the Cy Young voting in each of the last four seasons, including a win. That's something you can find in the article, too. Just so damn consistent. I'm so excited to see what he does for Baltimore this year. But at number four, you're up. Kevin Gosman of the Toronto Blue Jays. He is our fourth best pitcher in baseball. Kevin Gosman was number two for me. This guy strikes out the world. He doesn't walk anyone. And he had a 3 one ERA this year with a FIP under three. I'm going to pull up the year-by-year year for Kevin Gosman. Obviously, 2021 was Gosman's true breakout season. 192 innings. He had a 2-8 in San Francisco. But since he's arrived in Toronto, this guy has given them 174 innings, then 185 innings at a 3-3-5 then a 316. He's punched out over 200 each of the last two years. He's been under three walks per nine each of the last two years. He's ridiculous, man. Utterly ridiculous. Opponents OPS 670 against him, 31% K rate, 7% walk rate. I have such a good time watching Gosman when that splitter's on, and I can't wait to do it for 30 more starts this year. Kevin Gosman is the death and I mean, all the, uh, we, it's the same superlatives over and over again. Yeah. When we're starting to get into pitchers at this level of talent and this level of durability, 31 games started 185 innings, three, one, six year. I mean, it's just, what, what else do you want me to say? The splitter is unbelievable. He turns on every fifth day and just dominates and the blue Jays just never hit for him. Right. 
ever. I mean, I just think it's so funny. <laughs> it's just like some weird thing that he's always at the bottom of run support, even though the Blue Jays have a great offense. They hit for everybody else, right? You turn on a Chris Bassett game. The game's oh eight to God. seven in the night. Like, it, there's no problem there. For some reason, Kevin Gosman just never gets run support. So, you know, but he easily could win 20 games. But this is not about him winning 20 games. This is just ever since that year with the Giants, he found something. And since then, he has been one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. So why is he a little bit higher, right? Because we have Burns, we have Webb, we have so many good pitchers. So why is he at four? Well, he strikes out more guys, limits harder contact compared to those guys, still has plenty of balls on the ground, and he barely walks anybody. So it's just a little bit better stuff. It's a little bit more strikeout stuff. That's basically what separates these guys, right? Because realistically, if Kevin Gosman or Corbin Burns is on the mound for your team, is there really that big of a difference? Logan Webb, Gal, like they're all incredible. So what puts him a little bit higher? Peripherals were a little bit better. F war is a little bit better. And the strikeouts are a little bit higher. And all those kind of correlate. That's why he's at four, not six. It's all I could do. I don't know how to. If you're listening to the show, you know how fucking good Kevin Gossman is. Right. So number three. Number three. Number three on the top ten starting pitchers list, Spencer Strider, Atlanta Braves. Put up a 3.86 ERA last year, but a 2.85 FIP. The Braves really did no service to him on the defensive side. It was a 20-game winner for anybody that cares. But what's Spencer Strider's calling card? It's the strikeout. 13.6K per nine led Major League Baseball by a mile in strikeout minus walk rate, right? Which is super important. I don't want you to walk anybody as a pitcher, and I want you to strike out the world. And the number one pitcher in baseball doing that is Spencer Strider. We know how good he is. We've seen him in spring training throwing a curveball. We've seen him mix in the changeup, and everybody is dreaming and drooling about what he would look like with four pitches. You and I ranked him, I ranked him 7th, you ranked him 8th. Arm ranked him 2, Fink ranked him 4, Leo ranked him 2, and Colby ranked him as the number 1 pitcher in Major League Baseball. He's not the number 1 pitcher. Garrett Cole is the number 1 pitcher. You know, I think you know that probably by listening by now. Yes. But I can see him being number 2. Because if everything clicks, right, you could say ERA doesn't matter. I'm not looking at ERA at all. Yeah. What I know is that Spencer Schreider had a 29% K-BB ratio. That was 6% better than the second-best pitcher. That yeah. is absurd. He's going to lead the league in strikeouts. It's overwhelming stuff. Sue us. You and I care about ERA. You put up a 386. Like, um, that's just a part of, of what we're saying and also a part of my ranking. Personally, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. We hear about all these different pitches, right? Are we, are we just supposed to assume that they're both this – curveball that he's bringing in spring training is just going to be excellent. It's going to be that third pitch because there were times during the season where if his fastball and slider weren't there, he was going to get crushed because it's two pitches and these hitters, they can hit a bullet out of a gun. So if his, he's not on with fastball and slider, it's two pitches and these guys are getting to him. I watched, I sat behind home plate, no, not actually home plate, but a little bit higher for citizens bank park when he gave up bombs in the postseason. Yeah. Right. I, and that happens to everybody. Nobody's perfect. But I think you and I are just a little bit lower because he still is young, right? Like, it, I think it's okay to just be, like, he's a little bit more down our list. 
until he shows that that curveball is real or that changeup is real. He starts mixing it up a little bit. That's why I'm a little bit lower on him because I'm including all factors and I look at a pitcher like that and I say other pitchers have more that they can go to. They've proved durability longer than he has. And they've produced better, right? We can talk about peripherals all day long of what we think they can be. And once he proves it this year, I'm happy to put him one. There's, there's, that's the thing. There's room to grow. Like we're going to do this again in 2025 and chances are he's going to be higher. Cause I think this guy is just scraping the surface of what he can be. He's been a two pitch pitcher for the first two years of his career. He just finished up the second year of his career. His first one, he finished second in rookie of the year voting. And then, or his first one, pardon, he finished second in rookie of the year voting. His second, he was a, you know, Cy Young candidate until the very end, really. And Snell separated himself from the pack, from Gallon, from Steele, and from Spencer Strider. Yeah, ERA still matters to me. I think everybody knows that, especially for starting pitchers. It really doesn't matter to me for relief pitchers. It matters to me for starting pitchers because those guys are the ones that get the sample where starting pit, where ERA is actually going to make sense. Um, the thing that got me about Strider is he had six scoreless outings last year. He had five outings where he allowed five or more earned runs. So almost the same number of starts where it would be considered a blow up as a scoreless outing. And I don't know what the numbers, I don't have the numbers in front of me for Garrett Cole. If that was the same case or not, I'd assume it wasn't for me. Strider was slightly more susceptible to the blow up than the other guys in front of him. And Spencer Strider is number three on this list, but the two guys in front of him, I'm taking to start a postseason game over third year Spencer Strider, one that has shown in the MLB regular season that he really only has two pitches. He flashed a great changeup at points in the regular season. We have yet to see the changeup on full display across a full season. We have yet to see this curveball on full display across a full season. When Spencer Strider graduates from two-and-a-half-pitch pitcher, and when he shows me that he can assert his dominance at the highest level in our game, which is the postseason, he is going to have every right to be in the top two or top one on this list. But three in year three, good for you, Spencer Strider. Yeah, he, here's the difference. It, like, I can totally say that a Spencer Strider six-inning, 10-strikeout performance is as dominant as any pitcher in Major League Baseball. Yes. Like, when you turn on a Braves game and you watch everybody's best performance, Spencer Strider's best performance looks like it's better than any other pitcher's best performance. However, if I get two starts and... Spencer Charlie goes six innings, 10 Ks, and then five innings, four runs versus Logan Webb, who goes six innings, two runs, six innings, two runs. They both gave up the same amount of runs, but I feel that Logan Webb, that's why I ranked him one spot higher, is going to give me more innings. It's going to be look very similar in the run production department, but Spencer Strider's peripheral, peripherals are going to Peripher- be gaudier because he strikes out way more guys. Yeah. But if the goal is to win the game and to limit run prevention, that's why Spencer Strider was a little bit lower than me. And now, the Braves' defense had a lot to do with his struggles, right? There was plenty of balls that Ronald Acuna Jr. could have gotten to. There were errors behind him or balls that weren't gotten to. 
It's not all in the Braves. But at the same time, like, 386 is 386. All the peripherals look great. Three mid low threes expected ERA. Um high twos FIP. He should be great next year. Got yes. yes. All right. Number two. Uh number two is is a fun one. And I'm glad that this guy climbed like he did. Unfortunately, I was the low one. I had him outside the top five. I don't know what kind of drug I was on when I was ranking these guys. I just needed to. I, I needed to assert my Zach Gallon agenda, and Zach Wheeler was the victim of that. But number two on this list is Zach Wheeler of the Philadelphia Phillies. And Wheeler's awesome, man. A 3-6 ERA, 192 innings, punched out 10 guys per nine, walked fewer than two. He was a six-win pitcher. Wheeler is unlike anyone else in the postseason. He might be the best pitcher that we've got in the postseason right now. Is there anybody else? If I is had Wheeler, one pitcher? Yeah. If I had, I'm going to tell you right now. Game seven, aliens pointed at Earth. I want Zach Wheeler on the mound in a postseason game right now. Winner so for, take all, I want Wheeler. So you've got Wheeler. For me, I want Iguodala. Um, yeah. But I think Wheeler might be the new Bumgarner, where he's really good in the regular season. He levels up in the postseason. Did the postseason dominance influence your ranking? I think I know the answer. Of course it did. Yes. I think I it just, influenced I, everybody's I'm ranking. I'm gravitating towards him in the postseason. I mean, this yes. is just – it's its unbelievable. The numbers he's po- putting up, we put all the stats out when it was when it was happening. This is one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. So the fact is, I'm going to get a similar type of production. All the guys in the top – Ted. Yeah. They're all going to be close to 200 innings. They're all going to be in mid to low threes. But Luis Castillo ain't doing that in the postseason. No. Webb ain't doing that in the postseason. Corbin Gallon's Burns ain't doing that in the postseason. Gallon's not doing it in the postseason. I would go as to far so far as to say our number one guy isn't quite as dominant as Zach Wheeler is in the postseason. Spencer Strider has not been a do- winner take all. Ask yourself. Wheeler's on the other side. Who are you going up against him? Because I'm making Wheeler the favorite. In the bank. Can LeBron pitch? Oh. And maybe it has to do with the ballpark, too. Like, it's those Phillies fans yelling down your throat with Zach Wheeler in the mound. You're not going to win any of those games. No. He's just so damn good. Throwing 180 innings in four of the last five full seasons. He's one of the league leaders in war every. He's just. He's amazing. And he's got the same thing where the Phillies defense ain't doing him any favors. We got a 3-6-1, but it was still better than Strider did last year. More innings than Strider, just not as many strikeouts, but actually limited the walks and put up a higher F war than Spencer Strider did. Yeah. Like, I just don't know how you can put Strider above Wheeler unless you're saying strikeouts. all I'm doing is projecting strikeouts, strikeouts, strikeouts. And, you know, that's more inducive to success. And, like, I get that, but from the body of work, you put Strider against Wheeler, and we've seen what happens. Like the Phillies win those games, right? Like, because Wheeler's the man; he's yep. the guy in charge. And like, are honestly, I was close to putting him one. I really was because Garrett Cole is better during the regular season. But I'm telling you, one pitcher to win a game, it's Zach Wheeler. But the number one pitcher in Major League Baseball is Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. Who else? Another season of 200 innings, a Cy Young last year, a 2.63 ERA, a 3.16 FIP. You know the numbers, but the thing is, those numbers keep 
happening and happening and happening every single season. Now, I have an interesting relationship with Garrett Cole because Garrett Cole broke my heart. He broke my heart against the Red Sox in that wildcard game. And ever since then, I have just always not had it out for him, but I've just always not truly given him his flowers for what an incredible pitcher he is. Like, I always consider him, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm like the Garrett Cole stand. Like, I'm not coming up here often. Like, when do you ever see me, like, give Garrett Cole tons and tons of flowers? Like, I might do Aaron Judge, right? You don't really hear it. Do you? Now, the number one problem I have with the Yankee fan base, and you're in it, the number one problem I have with the Yankee fan base is that they take the best pitcher in baseball for granted. I am I'm a part of that. And it, it is only because he broke my heart against the Red Sox in that wildcard game. Like, that's it. And he doesn't deserve that. He deserves so many flowers. He's been so dominant. Like, the Yankees won 82 games last year. Without him, I think they win 60. I mean, it was legitimately like he was our only shot every yeah. day. He's just... He's just overwhelming. And I think he also he's, could he's be a pitcher, worth, too. He's worth the 324. Oh, I yeah. never thought I would say that a pitcher is worth $324 million, but this guy has already been worth the $324 million. Every single game. And remember, he's pitching in a small ballpark in the AL East where all the best offenses come to play. And it's just consistent. I think he is taking it to another level because it was always high-octane stuff. But I think he's really learned how to pitch on top of throwing 100 miles an hour with every breaking ball. Like, I realistically think that when Garrett Cole is 38 years old and he's throwing 93, 94, that he's still going to be effective. Because I think in the last couple of years, he's really just learned how to pitch. And then when you have some of the best stuff in baseball, it's just game over night after night. As long as he stays healthy, which he has year over and year over, I have to forgive him for um, that wild card game against the Red Sox. But I just, I watched that and it broke my heart and I haven't given him his flowers until right now when he fully deserves it. Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in major league baseball. And we all agree, right? Except Colby. Yeah. Colby had him too. Yeah. Cause he had You're strider one. one. Yeah. Strikeouts, strikeouts, strikeouts. From the outside looking in, what do you look at when you see Garrett Cole on the mound for the Yankees? I see the best the pitcher. In ba- I see the best I pitcher in watch- baseball. My guess is you don't like the Yankees, so you don't really watch them that much, but I bet you're tuning into every Garrett Cole start. I'm turning, I'm tuning into every Cole start. I'm just not tuning into the exactly. Clark Schmidt starts. Which is fine. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're probably turning into all the Garrett Cole starts from not a Yankee fan's perspective. Yeah, because I, I think he's better than I do. Because I want to watch that high-spin fastball dot the lower outside corner, and then I want to see him follow with a slider that ends up at the same spot, and then I want to see him go to the lower inside corner on the fastball, and it's a three-pitch punch out, and he just violated somebody. He is pitching with- mastery, and it it kills me that this fan base takes him for granted. Do you know how lucky the New York Yankees are to have a guy that's going to throw 210 innings for them every year and sit 97 with the heater and always give you a low to mid three ZRA always. I mean, I'm a piece of shit. Yes. I I get burped by my girlfriend and I take for granted the best pitcher in baseball. That's called bringing the pod full circle. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the top 10 or top 20 or whatever we did. Yeah. 
you could read about it on JustBaseball.com. And if you enjoyed, hit us with a five-star review. Come on, people, please. No, really, we genuinely appreciate it. It's the best way to support this podcast, giving you guys as much information as humanly possible. All we ask, right, we ain't asking for any of your money, just if you could rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and then leave a comment what you guys think of the list. Hate it, love it. Let us know in the YouTube comments and hit that subscribe button as well and the like button. Of course, all the different buttons, they're all free. We have a loaded lineup of interviews coming soon for everybody. Orioles fans and Giants fans. I think you're going to be pretty excited for who we have coming on next. So you'll have to stay tuned for the week that is for the Just Baseball Show. Hopefully everybody has a great start to their week listening to this on Monday. Listen later in the week or earlier on later in the offseason. I don't know. Just hopefully everybody enjoyed and get your Just Baseball merch. I'm rocking my sweatshirt. Of course, Jack's rocking a turtleneck, hating the company per usual. Yep. But that's how you know the true listeners of the Just Baseball Show because they only know that if they listen all the way through to the end. Right. If they're listening all the way right now, we love you. We appreciate you. We're going to keep firing away. For Jack McMullen, I am Peter Apple. And with that, thank you for listening.